Today we bring to a close this series of lessons that I've been calling True North, and we've been studying the Ten Commandments. We've been using this ancient passage, these instructions to the people of Israel to allow us to set direction in our lives and think about God's call on our lives. We've allowed these commands to speak to us, especially the first four, about the nature of God and who God is, how we relate to God. And then as we've looked at the, the last several of the commandments, we've thought more about how do I relate to other people? How do I talk to people? How do I relate to my stuff? Very practical instruction on what we should do and who we should be. Now today as we come to a close, this last of the Ten Commandments really is a little bit different than most of the other commandments and certainly from the five that are previous to this one in that those five are all very objectively measurable. You shall not murder. Well, most of us know whether we've done that or not, right? We can own up to yes or no there. But when we come to the last of the commands, it's much less about just what we do outwardly but also what goes on in our minds, how we relate to our stuff and the people around us. This is the command that we find at the very end. We're in Exodus chapter 20, and we're looking at verse 17, the last of the Ten Commandments. It's worded this way. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet what your neighbor has. And again, who's your neighbor? Well, that's anybody in the community for Israel. So it's anybody in the room right now. Don't covet the stuff that belongs to someone else. You see, that's how we relate to what kind of life am I living? How content am I with the life that God has given me? Not only the stuff, but the relationships and the work and all that's a part of my life. Am I longing for someone else's life or am I happy with the life that God's given us? Now that's a challenge. Sometimes we face real challenges to this and jealousy can be one of the things that can keep us from obeying this commandment. Now I remember 31 years ago, this is hard to believe, I was beginning my senior year of high school and no, I wasn't super advanced. I was actually 17 as that time came. And one of the first days of school, and I can remember my dad was one of our, our teachers and I was sitting in his classroom front row and my best friend came in and sat down beside me in the, next, in the desk next to me and he told me that his, his parents had just bought him a brand new car, okay? And I hated him for it, okay? <laughs> I mean, I really did. I've got a picture of that car, you'll see. Uh, <clears throat> That's not the actual car, but it looked just like that. Pretty impressive, right? But I knew I wasn't getting a brand new car. My family was not the kind of family that ever bought brand new cars, okay? But, but his family was. And we had been friends for years. Now, I wouldn't have owned up to it at the time. Man, it drove me nuts, okay? Because he had that car. Maybe you know what that's like. It can happen with all sorts of things in our lives. We, we can deal with, we can see all kinds of things that the people that surround us, maybe even some people that we love, our family, our friends, maybe even the people we go to church with. You go on Facebook and there they are in front of their new house, right? You've been living in the same old dump for 20 years and they got a brand new house. Drives you crazy, right? 
We should be happy for them. We know that. We should be saying, man, isn't it awesome that they got that house? And, and somehow inside, we're struggling with it. Or maybe it's a picture of something well, that points to a bigger reality. Maybe it's a friend who posts a picture of an engagement ring. Yeah, the ring's nice, but the fact that they're getting married, that's what you're struggling with because it hasn't happened in your life. Or maybe it brings up some issues that's going on in your own marriage. Or someone that you know, someone that you love, posts a, a scanned-in picture of, a, of an ultrasound, of a baby that's going to be part of that family. But for you and your spouse, that hasn't happened, or it's not going to happen. And then you struggle with it, and you want to be happy for them, but you're not. Or maybe you hear about a promotion that a friend gets, and you're struggling with that as well. Man, you think, I could do that job. I've worked just as hard as that person. Why don't I get that kind of opportunity? And you're jealous. We've all had that kind of feeling, that kind of sense of why are they so fortunate and I'm not. And we have to ask ourselves, Am I coveting the stuff, the relationships, the life of another person? And we hear this command, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or car or job or spouse or family or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So what do we do with that? As we hear those words, I think one of the things that we have to, to grapple with a little bit is, what does it mean to, to covet something that someone else has? Uh, the Hebrew scholars are sort of all over the place. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I have to depend on others. But you have good, solid scholars of ancient Hebrew who say that this is basically an internal thing. That this is how we think about the belongings of another person. So it is an extreme form of jealousy. It's how we feel about that person because of everything that they have and all that represents and maybe what we don't have. So it's internal. And then there are others who say coveting is really only coveting. It's only active if we do something to get the stuff that belongs to another person. So that's all the commands that come before, right? Adultery, murder, stealing, all that stuff. So which is it? Well, I'm not sure, but here's what I know. What I know is the internal so often leads to the external, right? What's going on in our hearts and our minds and how we feel about ourselves and our lives and how we feel about others and what they have and what's going on in their lives, man, it can really affect the words that we say and the things that we do and how that affects the people around us. You see, I think we're pointing to a larger issue in this last of the Ten Commandments. Am I content with the life that God has given me? That's a big issue, isn't it? Am I content with the life that God has given me? Am I content with God's blessings on my life? Or do I want everything that everybody else has? Everything that they're posting on any kind of social media that looks a whole lot better than what I got. Am I doing that, or am I content with what God has given me? Now, we get lots of messages in our culture that encourages us to uh, be discontent, right? 
Doesn't take long watching TV, doesn't take long in the social media to say, man, the car I got is not good enough. My kitchen is not a modern show place of food preparation, right, like this one I see on TV, or I'm not satisfied with my spouse, my kids, my work, my, my supervisor, my church, my preacher, my whatever it may be. I'm just not content with any of that. And yet we have this scripture telling us not to covet what other people have. And in fact, if we look at the whole witness of Scripture, we see this message sort of ringing back over and over as we travel through Scripture. We could turn to what's probably the most familiar of all the Psalms, Psalm 23, and hear that same message, if I can get my Bible open. Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, and what does he say? I lack nothing. Now, my guess is that most of us didn't get up this morning and say, man... I lack nothing. I got so much stuff, so many good things going on in my life that I don't want anything else. That's not the way we normally think. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. It's a message of contentment. It's a message of saying, you know what? I don't have everything that everybody else has, but what God has given me, I'm going to see that as enough. If we look at what Jesus said, we hear the same kind of message in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, when he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And this, this is as hard for me as anything. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Don't worry about your life. Is this about food and clothes? No, it's about life. It's about how we handle our money. It's how we look at our families. It's how we understand our work. Are we content with the life that God has given? Or are we coveting everything that everyone else has that we seem to want? Am I seeing my life as one that's good enough? We get so caught up in stuff. We get so caught up in the next thing that we can buy, the next thing that we want to be ours. And Jesus is saying to us, listen, that's not what life is all about. And that's one of those mindsets that Christians really have to continually adjust to. Because the world says it is about all the stuff. The world says get what you can. We only do this once, so you better enjoy it. And Jesus is saying to us that we have a higher purpose and a higher calling. And that sometimes is very difficult to get into our heads. And so if we take this passage, the the lesson, or maybe the instruction that I'd like for us to hear is this. Name the needs that God has met. Name the needs God has met. You know, our inclination is sometimes to do just the opposite, to maybe even in prayer, go to prayer, and and we just want to lay out all the stuff that we want God to do. And we're not trying to be greedy here. We're not trying to get more than everybody else, but it's just, God, I need this and this and this and that and the other. And we forget that God has done some really powerful stuff in our lives already. We lose track of that. We lose track of a God who is at work in our lives. Our culture tells us that we are defined by what we consume. You are the brands that you purchase. In fact, we do that. We put brands that we like in different places in our lives, on our cars and in our homes. And we are defined by what we consume. 
And we have to work really hard as Christians to counter that thinking, to look at this in a different way. We have to work really hard to say, you know what, I'm not going to think about my life in terms of what I consume, the stuff that I buy. I'm going to define myself the way God defines me, and that's a whole different thinking. I'm going to allow myself to be defined by the fact that I am created by God. That's what makes me who I am. Now, I mess that up sometimes, but God, God redefines me in Jesus Christ. God changes who I am in Jesus and takes me from being a, a sinner to a person who's saved by the power of Jesus. And so we begin to think, okay, if, if that's the kind of God that we serve, how do I redefine who I am in terms of what God has done? And so we have to be intentional. And I think that's where this lesson helps. Name the needs God has met, because we don't do that automatically. In fact, what we do is notice, as I said, everything that everyone else has. We covet. We're jealous. And the way that we counter that inclination to covet what everyone else and what has and what everyone else is doing is to begin to name what God is doing in my life. And we can begin with the simple stuff, can't we? Most of us woke up this morning, didn't we? We have life. God has given us this great gift of life. It comes from God. The fact that we are here today is a blessing. Most of us woke up indoors this morning, right? We didn't sleep outside. That's a blessing. God took care of us in that. Yeah, we're called to work. We're called to pay our bills. But those are things that are blessings from God. And we can be thankful for the fact that we had a place to sleep last night. Most of us got here this morning because we got in a car that we own and we drove to church. Now, some of you say, well, that wasn't me. Well, you know what? You got here some way, and my guess is if you didn't have your own car, you've got a really good friend who picked you up and brought you to church as well. Both those are blessings, right? God's taking care of us. God's providing for our needs. Most of us had breakfast this morning, and we got some idea of what lunch is going to be like, too. And God provides for our basic needs with food. And we have something to put on our bodies. Just like Jesus said, life is not about that. Don't get hung up on that. Don't worry about that. Most of us have work to do tomorrow or spend our lives working. And a lot of us have work that's meaningful. Many of you have something you're going to do tomorrow that now, you get paid to do it, but you, you enjoy doing it, and, and you think you're contributing something to someone through your work. I mean, it matters what you're going to do tomorrow. It's going to matter to someone that you show up and do your work, not just to your boss, but to somebody else. And so your work is meaningful, and that's a blessing. Some of you have done work that didn't feel meaningful. That's not really fun to go to. So if you've got work that's meaningful, that matters to you, that's a blessing. That's a need that God has provided for. 
and above all of those things. Today we've gathered in this place at this time like we do every week because we've come here to worship. We've come to worship this God who loved us enough to do just what the passage that Ken read this morning, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, loved us enough to send his son who emptied himself and lived among us and died on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could spend eternity with God in heaven. And even if we didn't wake up indoors this morning and we were sort of wondering what lunch was going to be like and our clothes were inadequate, and we had to walk to church, even if that were the case, the blessing that comes from knowing Jesus Christ is still greater than all of those things. God has met our ultimate need in Jesus. And you know, when we begin to think of all that, it does change our perspective. Here we have this active God who's present among us today in his spirit, who's at work in our lives who has met some of our deepest needs, and more than that. When we begin to think of this God like that, it's a whole lot easier to obey the Tenth Commandment. It's a whole lot easier to live without wanting what everyone else has, because we worship this God who has chosen to provide for us in amazing ways. That's the kind of God we serve. And we do well when we name the needs God has met. Let's pray together. God, we know sometimes we've been so guilty of wanting the life that someone else has. Wanting something about their lives that's not present in our own. God, help us to recognize so much of what you've done. And there are still things that hurt, still things that we want, still things that you know, we wish would go away. But God, we come to you and ask that you show us the path to being content in the life that you've given us so that we don't spend our lives wanting what everyone else has. God, we know we can only do this through your spirit, and so we pray that your spirit would be at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.